Well, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try to stay seated, but I don't know how long I'll stay seated because I don't know how these guys do it. Preach sitting down, you know, and in their chairs and, and kind of, a, I just don't know, bless them. But we'll give it, a, we'll give it our shot. Let me, let me just say again how, uh, in, in the welcome, how glad I am that you're here. I, I appreciate during these summer months as we are walking through this uh, series of messages on truth, living truth, uh, that many of you uh, are just very faithful and you come to church, not so much, uh, you don't come saying, you know, how can the church help me and bless me, but you come saying, how can I be a blessing to the Lord and how can I, by my attendance, you know, support others in their, in their walk. You know, I'm convinced that we really need each other. Uh, we need one another as the body of Christ. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of that, how, you know, in just the nuclear family, how we need each other. When somebody gets hurt like this and and how you're just so contingent, you're so dependent on other people to help you. And I think that's a, that's, a, that's a valid picture of the body of Christ. That somebody comes in here today and you're hurt and you're bruised and you need healing and you need encouragement. And we pray today that through this awesome praise and worship that we experienced and through the teaching of God's Word, uh, that you will receive everything that you need to be empowered and to be encouraged uh, to walk with the Lord. So today I want to I share a difficult message with you today. In fact... I would title this message, The Danger of False Teachers, or I could entitle it, uh, Lineman Christianity. And let me explain. Is anybody else tired of golf and baseball? Can I get some football? Amen. Is anybody else just, come on. I am ready for some football. And when I think about football, I think about those, the big uglies is what they call them. You know, the six foot five, 300 pound, uh, they play offensive line. And it's not a very glamorous position. And, uh, you know, the only time you, you, you really recognize offensive linemen is when. Is when they get off sides or they hold somebody. And now, when I was a kid, they would just say, that's a foul on the offensive line. Back them up 5, 10, 15 yards. But today, they're like, oh, no, number 65. And they, and they call them out. And then they put the camera on them, you know. So this is a lineman sermon in that. Yes, it's not very glamorous, but it's very foundational. You cannot play football unless you have an offensive lineman. And I don't think you can have a genuine Christianity where you grow in your faith unless you have sermons like this, unless you have teaching like the Apostle Peter gives us in this text. Just by the very title of the nature of the sermon, the danger of false prophets and false teachers, will cue you in that this is going to be a message where we're going to see uh, what it is, what falsity looks like, what pseudo-prophets look like, what... Uh, a teaching that does not honor God and does not honor His Word, what it looks like. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think with me. As I walk through these three points, and these, we only have three verses. But as I walk through this today, I want you to keep in mind that for every negative thing that I will say about a false teacher, you can contrast that with a positive thing that could be said about a true preacher, a true teacher, a true prophet of God. And so I want to read 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to stand in the honor of God's Word. Why don't you join me? Why don't you stand up? And let's read God's Word as we stand to our feet and, uh, or to our foot, the case may be. And uh, we will read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But there were also false prophets among the people, Peter says, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them. And they bring on themselves swift destruction. And many, notice that word many, not a few, but many will follow them. 
will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. And may the Lord add blessing and anointing to the reading and the preaching of His Word. You may be seated. One of the benefits of preaching God's Word verse by verse and book by book, and by the way, if you're a guest here today, our staple homiletics at Great Hills is verse by verse preaching and teaching in God's Word. I'm very much looking forward to this apologetic series with Explore God beginning in September and going through October. Very much looking forward to that. But as soon as I finish that eight-week series, I will come back uh, to uh, teach and to preach a verse-by-verse message. So today, we're going to look at chapter 2 as the Apostle Peter. Now remember, he's writing in about A.D. 64, 65. He will die a martyr's death in A.D. 66 at the hands of Nero. But before he does, he has this He has this letter, he has this epistle that he wants to write to his church then and by the power of the Holy Spirit to us today. And what he's doing is he is prepping us, he is preparing us so that when false teachers come our way, we might be able to identify them, recognize them, and therefore avoid them. Now, in Peter's day, there was this group of teachers, these group of preachers, and here's what they said. They said... We know that Jesus Christ said he would come again. And we know that people like Peter and Paul and John, they all believed Jesus when he said he would come again one day and he would judge the world. However, we have a divine revelation. We have a revelation that goes like this. Jesus is not coming again. He is not coming in the way that Peter and Paul and John say that he is. That he's coming in the clouds and he will judge the world. And No, no, no. We, we don't believe that anymore. And they begin to teach that at the first Baptist church of Asia, if you will. They begin to teach that in the local community of faith. And Peter says they are heretics. Do not believe them. But it went a step further. And here's what they did. They said not only is Jesus not coming back to judge... Therefore, don't worry about such a strict, godly life like the apostles teach. Because after all, you know, God has forgiven you of all your sins, and Jesus is not going to come back and judge you, so therefore, live like you want to live. You know, have as much sex as you want to have. Go to as many of those drunken parties as you want to. Don't worry about honoring the Lord's day. Really, it does not matter because Jesus is not coming to judge anyhow. So live like you want to live. And they were teaching that in the church, in the very church that Peter and John and James and Paul, those apostles developed those churches by the power of God and these false teachers. Now, Can you understand a little bit of the intensity and the urgency of Peter's words? And so therefore, he says, now listen. Guys, number one, the reality of it. You're always going to have these charlatans, these frauds, these pseudo-prophets and pseudo-teachers. And notice with me, it says, the reality of false teachers in verse 1, he says, you've always had them and you will always have them. In fact, when you go back through the Old Testament, like I did this week, and by the way, you can study a lot with your foot up. Just want you to know, if y'all are ever wondering, can I really study with my foot propped up and write a sermon? You really can, just for those of you who are wondering. And so I was going through the Old Testament, and I was looking at Deuteronomy chapter 13, which is a powerful expose of false teachers. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 5, in fact, Moses said, God uses false prophets in order to test the sincerity and the veracity of the people of God. And he did that in Deuteronomy 13. Then you move on over to 1 Kings 18. Then you can go to Jeremiah chapter 5 and Jeremiah chapter 23. The Bible is full of examples of false prophets. Peter said, you've had them then, we have them now, and the church of Jesus Christ until he comes will have those who have a hidden agenda. agenda. They have a secretive motivation. Paul said these words in Acts chapter 20. He came through on his second missionary journey, and he was speaking in Miletus to the Ephesian elders. He pulled all the pastors together, and this is what the Apostle Paul said. Therefore, men, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, and Paul said, I know this for a fact, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves. Now, now church family, that is absolutely important. The Apostle Peter in verse 1 and the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, they have this commonality. These are not false prophets and false teachers who come from without, but they are intruders and interlopers who come from within, okay? And so Paul says, look, they're going to come from among yourselves. They'll rise up. They will say perverse things. And here's why, to draw away disciples after themselves. And so here we have, in, in verses 1 through 3, the apostle Peter says, the reality is you're going to have those who are charlatans. They're going to be false prophets. The Washington Post did a story a few years ago. It's very interesting. The Washington Post, they did a story, and the title of it was, Believers in God, if not church, many carve out unique religions. And the article goes on to talk about this family, this husband and wife, and they are quoted as saying this, We don't want to have anything to do with the traditional church or with the God of the Bible. Whoa, Nellie, time out. Whenever somebody tells you, I don't want to have anything to do with the church or with what God says in the Bible, then I encourage you to walk away from them. Just go ahead and say, hey, I I respect you as a person and you believe that, but I totally disagree with your doctrine and theology, and just begin to make your way away from them. This couple went on to say this, we have discovered God within. That's why we need God, because we are God. Okay, God gives me the ability to create my own godliness, end of quote. Now, Hannah Rosen, who wrote this article in the Washington Post, she said these words. She said, Americans today, we have rewritten or we have written our own Bible. We have fashioned our own God, end of quote. Fortunately, in this Washington Post article, there was a quote by an evangelical author, and his name is Larry Crabb, and this is what he said. He says, we have trivialized God. Most of these books on religion assume God is the butler who serves you for one reason, to give you a happy life. We've turned God into a divine Prozac, end of quote. This is false teaching. 
These are those who come up within the church of God in the Old Testament, within the church of God in the New Testament, and might I add, especially in the church of God in the 21st century. And Peter says, just know that. It is a reality. Recognize it. Let it be on your radar. And you say, well, thank you, Apostle Peter, but how will I really recognize these people? How will I really recognize them if they emanate from within my very local church? And Peter says, that's a great question. Now let me give you seven answers to that question. Number two is the recognition of false teachers. How can I recognize a pseudo-false charlatan teacher-preacher? Well, you say, now, Brother Danny, you're going to give us seven? That's a whole sermon, you know, like seven points? I mean, amen, seven of these. And so we've given you blanks there in the, uh, some of you are staring at me with blanks, Amen. Giving you seven blanks there in the, in the outline. Do you see that outline? Wave it at me. Wave it in the air like you just don't care. All right, amen. You are out there. Woo! I was beginning to wonder for just a second. You say, well, what do you expect, brother? You're preaching on false prophets. Woo-hoo, that really excites me. Let me tell you something real quick. If the Word of God bores you, the problem is not with the Bible, it's with you, okay? I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to teach you what God's Word says so that Your marriage is protected, your children and your grandchildren are protected, and you run into heavens going, thank you, God, that I knew what the Word of God taught, and I was not deceived by these duplicitous, deceptive, uh, so-called preachers. So let me give you these uh, recognition factors. Number one, they secretly bring in destructive heresies. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. Uh, you know, it's a person who's in the, in the church, and, and they, they kind of pull some people aside and say, I know what Brother Danny's saying. I know what he believes, you know, what Scripture teaches. But I've got this epiphany. i got this holy vibration. i got this theophany from God himself. And I know what the preacher said, and I know what the Bible says. Woo, man, I've got a new word for you. And I want to guarantee you that new word will depart from the Scripture. And when it departs from the Scripture, number one, you say that that is not of God. Interesting that this word in verse 1, the Greek word is heresias. Heresias, obviously, it's where we get our English word heresy. And it originally meant to choose or to embrace your own personal opinion. And so they secretly bring in these destructive heresies. And as they do so, they are departing from Scripture and they're departing from the historic evangelical doctrine and teaching of the church. We already got 100 people signed up for our systematic theology class. I'm so excited. One brother in our church, he's a doctor, not to mention any names, Ryan, but it was really fun what he said on Facebook. He said, I don't know if I'm looking forward to football as much as I am that systematic theology class. I tell you, I, wanted me to raise, I just wanted to raise my crutch and go, woo-hoo, amen. I'm coming after you. I can't wait to share. I, I finished in bed this week, lecture three on the Trinity. I'm going to get to lecture for about a whole hour on the doctrine of the Trinitarian, almighty God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You say, why in the world would you get up at 645 and teach me about the Trinity? Here's why. Because the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses and the Muslims do not take a vacation. They will teach you what the Trinitarian God looks like, and it looks nothing like the God of Scripture. So I'm pretty jacked up about it. I can't wait, but let me get back to my sermon, number two here. All right. Uh, Number two, they deny Jesus, the Lord, who bought them. Now let's talk about this. 
In your Bibles it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. They secretly bring in destructive heresies, their own choices, number one. Number two, they deny the despotists who bought them. Oftentimes in the Greek New Testament, Jesus is referred to as kurios. And that is the most common Greek word for Lord, L-O-R-D. But not this time. Very interesting that Peter does not use the word kurios. He uses the Greek word despotos. And if I were you, I would just write that in the margin of my Bible. In 2 Peter 2, 1, the word Lord is not kurios. It is, spell the word despot and add E-S. Because that's where we get that English word, a despot. Now some of you looking at me go, but wait a minute. I've always heard a despot was a very pejorative a very negative connotating word. I mean, when you're a despot, aren't you a, I mean, aren't you just a ruthless leader? That's not what Webster says. Webster says a despot is, is a ruler with absolute power. He is a king with unlimited abilities. So in this sense, Peter is saying, oh, this is good. Watch this. The false teachers they do not submit themselves under the absolute monarch authority of Jesus Christ as a Lord, but they remove themselves under the umbrella of God's authority, and they put themselves now in authority, and that's why they can say, I know Jesus said he was coming again. Dismiss that. He is not my despotos. He is not even my curios. He's good for a little forgiveness. He's good for a little feel-good religion, but he's not coming again. So don't worry about all this judgment. Just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and there is no judgment. You get that? They remove themselves from under the rubric or the umbrella of the despotus of the lordship of Christ. And then, Peter says, they deny the Lord who bought them. came across an interesting quote. Let me read this to you. And by the way, when you see the word bought, that is always a soteriological word. The word bought means to redeem as if you were redeeming a slave off of the slave block. And that's the word here. They are now denying the Lord who bought them or who shed his blood for them. Now, I was reading, and like you, you first thing you come across, you, you scratch your head and you go, but wait a minute, I thought if a person was really a Christian, there is no way that they could lose their salvation. And I believe that, by the way. I still believe that. Listen to what this one writer said. The expression indicates that the false teachers were part of the church Peter addressed, that they professed faith in Jesus Christ, and at one time they were loyal servants of Jesus Christ, but now they denied the Lord who spilled his blood for them. I was talking to somebody just not long ago who said, oh, I used to believe in all that, but I don't believe in that anymore. I don't acknowledge that anymore. Here's my response to it. You never acknowledged it in the first place. You never genuinely gave your heart to Christ. And here's why I know it. Because the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, when you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes in you. And He seals you. He redeems you. And you, when you're genuinely born again by the Spirit of God, there is no breaking that divine seal. I'm afraid... There are many people who have had pseudo-conversions who thought they were Christians at one time, and they walk away from the faith, but in reality, they never knew Christ as Lord. You say, well, where do you get that? It wasn't an epiphany. It wasn't a holy heartburn and a vision I had. I got this right out of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 7 says this, 
I think it's the most ominous, sobering verse in all the Bible. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But it is he who does the will of my Father. And so the person who really is saved and the person who really is going to heaven is someone who just does not say, Lord, Lord, but it's somebody who loves God and lives for God, and their behavior is commensurate with their lofty profession. Now listen to me carefully. That does not mean, that does not mean that you will never mess up. Please don't take away from this today going, oh man, if I mess up, then I'm really not walking with God, and, and oh, I thought I was a Christian, oh, I need to be saved again. No, 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 listen to this. It doesn't mean that you will not mess up and sin. How many of y'all have messed up or sinned within the last 24 hours? Would you raise your hand? My hand is up in the air. Some of you are going, yeah, that's true, I did that. Well, but here's the thing. You say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you, and you go back on path and you start walking with the Lord. The people I'm concerned about is, oh, I don't need that anymore. I've gotten over that and I, I really don't need Jesus and all that religion of, of forgiveness. Jesus also said in Matthew 24, 12, and 13, this is very important. I want to make sure you get this. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he, come now, come on, he who endures to the end is saved. That person who keeps walking with God, they demonstrate the veracity and the truthfulness of their conversion. Number three, they have many followers. Isn't that the truth? The Bible says in verse 1, they, will bring, they, they, they deny the Lord who bought them. In verse 2, and many people will follow them. You know, and I think about it, as I was studying this week, I went through some of the more well-known cultic groups. And I thought about Jim Jones in Guyana, South America, there in the, the colony of Jonestown. You remember this? Uh, years ago, he, he said he was a prophet of God, and, and, and come to find out, he, he had 914 people drink cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. And what is so heartbreaking is 276 of them were children. And so he was a pseudo, a false prophet. And David Koresh, just an hour north of us here in Waco, just a, not, not too many years ago, uh, 54 adults, 28 children died. Many people will follow these pseudo-prophets. Muhammad is a pseudo-prophet. And millions, if not billions of people are following him all the way to hell. Joseph Smith was a false prophet. He, he did not believe in the Jesus of the Bible, neither did Muhammad. He thought he was the prophet. And so when you see hundreds and then millions and billions of people following a religion, following a cult, following a sect that does not line up with the Word of God, they are false prophets. Now some of you are going, Brother Dan, that is scary. That's dangerous for you to say something. Well, let me tell you this. The Muslims are not afraid to call us false prophets. They say that we don't believe in the Quran. We don't believe that Muhammad is God's prophet and he's the only way to heaven. No, we don't believe that. So they say we are anathema. But here's the difference. Instead of me shooting them, they want to shoot me. And I just disagree with them. But they disagree with me to the point that they would shed my blood. That's false prophets, by the way. That is a false religion, a religion of war. They have many followers, okay? How about billions? Number four, their ways are destructive. Now, for the third time, Peter uses the word destructive. And by the way, he is going to use the word destructive four times 
in three verses with two very different Greek words. Let me say that again. Four times the word destruction or a form thereof is used. Three of those usages are of the same, and then one is very different. The one that happens to be different is this one. It is the word asilgeus in the Greek. And asilgeus always has a sexual, immoral connotation. Now stay with me. When Peter says, many will follow their destructive ways, he is referring to some kind of sexual appeal, some kind of sexual immorality. Jim Jones in Time Magazine said he had a voracious appetite for hetero and homosexual activities. And you can trace them. Joseph Smith had multiple, multiple wives. So did Muhammad. And many of these charlatans and these false prophets, somehow they combine sex and power and money and greed. And if you are a true follower of Christ, you need to recognize it and walk away from it and say, anything that would make me less like Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with it. The way of truth is now it is blasphemed because of them. This is number five. Man, I'm sweating like a stuffed pig. I don't know what a stuffed pig sweats like, but I am sweating up a storm up here. Amen. The way of truth is blasphemed because of them. Let me explain this to you this way. There are people who are genuinely thinking about becoming Christians. And they go, but well, you know, this group over here, they, wow, they don't look anything like the Jesus of the Bible and so, I, well, I guess there's really no truth to it after all. Because look at those few over there, the way they are greedy for money. And the way they are sleeping with as many people as they can. And the way they dismiss Scripture. Well, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so an immoral, atheistic, secular culture does judgment on the church of God based on the behavior of a few and the name of Jesus is blasphemed. That's what he's saying in verse 4. Or in verse, in verse 2, and that's number 5. Number 6, they are greedy. Isn't that the truth? By covetousness, they exploit. They have this insatiable, one writer says, they have an unholy ambition for prestige and for power. And number, uh, number 7, they exploit others with their deceptive words. Now, let, let me show you something here in verse 3. By covetousness, by greed... They will exploit you with, now watch these two words in Greek, plastois lagos. What word do you think we get plastois? Plastic, that's right. By their plastic, fake, fabricated words, they deceive. One writer put it this way, with a fabricated story, they fleece the sheep of God. Whew, I don't know about you, but that's some intense stuff. There was a there was. A part of me around Monday or Tuesday, and that's when I really do the bulk of my sermonic preparation. I spend hours and hours and hours writing the sermon on Monday and Tuesday. And then I start internalizing it and start memorizing it Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then also, well, not Friday, but then on Saturday. But there was a part around Monday or Tuesday going, you know, I think my foot hurts a little much. I, I, don't, I don't know if I really need to <laughs> preach this message. Let me, let me just call on somebody else to come preach because, Lord, who wants to hear this? This is some intense stuff. Lord, I'm not going to win many friends and influence a whole lot of people preaching on this. 
And it's like the Spirit of God says, I did not call you to be successful. I called you to be faithful. <laughs> I called you to preach my word. And so that's what we have done. But having said that, I want to share with you now the flip side of falsity. What is the opposite or the antithesis of a false, fake, pseudo-charlatan preacher who's full of greed, full of himself, full of lust after women, full of making his own name known and worship. What is the opposite of that? Well, I'm about to tell you in a paragraph, and I'm actually going to have to read it because I want to make sure I get it. It took me a while to write this. I want to make sure I get it right. Here it is. The true individuals, then, are not secretive, but they openly proclaim the truth of Christ to bring salvation and spiritual life not death or destruction. What I would encourage you to do is take out your sheet that you took notes on, and as I read this paragraph, just compare the true with the fake. All right, these individuals are not secretive. They share the truth of Christ. Number two, they do not deny the Lord with their actions, but they openly profess and live for Him. Number three, they may serve God in very difficult circumstances with very few followers. Let me say that again. They serve God faithfully, but sometimes they have very few converts and very few followers. And, and I thought about Adonai Judson. You know, Mike Miracle, I, I thought about him because as a great missionary, he preached for seven years, preaching the Word of God, he had one convert come to Christ. I think in 18 years, he had a whopping congregation of, of like 19 people, something crazy like that. But he was true and he was faithful. Just because somebody has a huge following does not necessarily mean they are preaching the truth of the Word of God. Hold on just a second. Amen, Brother Danny. That was a good word. All right. Thank you. If you're not going to say it, I'm going to say it. Just because somebody packs it out and has a huge following does not necessarily mean they're preaching the Scriptures. In fact, sometimes God, dis God determines the effectiveness not so much by our numbers, but by our adherence and truth to the Scriptures. Oftentimes, as I preach those words, Brother James, I feel like I am a, I almost have an out-of-body experience. Like, I'm a, 50, I'm a 50s preacher, you know? I'm, I'm, not a, I'm really not a preacher of today. I've, I've noticed and I've studied homiletics today, and I am a deep anomaly. And Doug, I'm serious. To preach like I am preaching, sometimes I walk away and I shake my head and going, man, you're different. You, you're, that's, just, that's just not what people hear today. But through the Holy Spirit and my wife, I keep on doing it. I keep on preaching. So we'll, we'll keep on doing it. Okay, let me go back. Number four, they are not destructive, but they edify and they promote a holy life. Number five, the way of truth is never dishonored, but it is praised and never blasphemed among true prophets. Number six, they give and bless others instead of greedily looking for more. Let me say that again. They bless others. And they're not greedy. They're not going after your wife they're happy with their wife. They're not after your money and your pocket, but they are, they are pleased serving the Lord. They are not pseudo, 
They are the real deal. And number seven, finally, they share words of life seeking to build you up, not exploit you, proclaiming words of truth and not messages of deceit. So let me close with this, number three. The result, what happens What happens to these guys? Where, where do they end up? Well, Peter tells us in verse 1, he says, they will bring upon themselves swift destruction. And it's interesting that they have nobody to blame but themselves. They heard the truth. They said, thanks, but ah, no thanks. I'm not really interested in that. Ah, it's pretty restrictive. And man, I, if I believe that, then I really can't do this. So that must be wrong. It must be wrong because it restricts me from living a free and immoral life like I want to live. So I deny that and I rebuke that. And God says, you can do that. But you do that to your everlasting peril. The word destruction means an everlasting state of torment and death. Jesus said in John chapter 3, man, Jesus had a lot of tough sayings. This comes right after John 3, 16. He says these words, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe, does not believe in Christ, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. And their deeds were evil. And Jesus Christ Almighty God in the flesh said, it is not a theological issue. It is not a theoretical issue. It is an absolute moral issue. There are people all over Austin. It's not that they don't understand the Bible. They understand it clearly, and they don't want to have anything to do with it because in their minds, it restricts them. But in reality, it'll set them free. Isn't that the paradox? Isn't that the, isn't that the grand irony of Christianity? When you come to Christ in brokenness and in sin and say, I've had enough of my old life and God, I give you my life. What he does is he takes our sinful life and he washes it away through the precious blood of the lamb. And with his resurrection power, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And so that we are able to walk with him and serve him and love him and be all that God's called us to be so that one glorious day, when we pass from this life, we'll enter into the very presence of God. Isn't that an awesome thing? Thank you, Lord. Not only will they be destroyed, but before they're destroyed, Peter says in verse 3, they will face judgment, which I think is extremely ironic. Why do I think that's ironic, church? Why do I think that the false prophets being judged is ironic because it's precisely what they said would not happen. <laughs> they said, you're not going to be judged. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Jesus coming back. I'm going I'm to judge the world. Don't worry about that. And the very thing they said would not happen, it will happen. And Jesus will look at them and say, you fooled a lot of people, but you didn't fool me. <laughs> and he comes again. And they are not only destroyed, but they are judged before they are destroyed. One writer puts it this way. says, the false teachers should not conclude from the elapse of a long period of time that judgment's not coming. To say that their destruction is not sleeping is to say that it will certainly come. The fabricated words, the plastois, remember that logos? The fabricated words will be exposed in all their hollowness on the day of judgment. And finally, this writer says... Old William Barclay from yesteryear said, No man who leads another astray will ever escape 
his own judgment. So, if you are a Bible teacher today at Great Hills, and if you're a deacon, and if you're a pastor and a staff, can I really, really speak to you for just a moment? Can I encourage you to take your calling extremely seriously? Make sure that you faithfully teach the Scriptures Sunday morning, each Sunday morning, or in your small group in your home. And please, please resist the temptation to have this epiphany from God that you're going to depart from the sacred text and you're going to have your own little ideology and philosophy and theology. Please resist that temptation because that is not uh, from the Lord. I got to share a story with you. Are y'all okay with that? Okay, good. I'm going to share this story with you because I need to hear the story. In the light of so much difficulty and hard preaching, I want to share a story with you because I, I need to know that there are people like this who exist. And people like this who exist, they encourage me. And by their very life and actions, they demonstrate that they are true people of God. It's a story that I learned from Wayne Cadero. He's the pastor uh, out in uh, Honolulu. I know. Somebody's got to do it. All 15,000 of his people. 15,000 in Honolulu, Hawaii in 10 campuses. And chairman of our deacons here at Great Hills who loves me and I love him dearly, he gave me this book because this book has to do with pastoral burnout. And depression, and how very few who start in ministry end in ministry uh, because they just, they just fizzle, they burn out. Uh, there's a section in that book about taking time off and taking sabbatics and getting away, and I'm like, it makes me nervous even to read that. I'm like, well, I, I can't do that, but, you, but in reality, you should. But in, the sto- in this book, toward the end of the book, he tells a story about this, this young man named Michael. And Michael um, was one of those guys that Man, you just wanted to be around. Here's, here's what Michael would do. Say, hey, Michael, how are you doing? He'd say, if I was any better, there'd be two of me. That'd be twins. And a buddy of him said one time, he said, now, come on now. He says, you, you, really, can't, you really can't think that way. I mean, now, you, you can't always be that positive. And this is what Michael told him. He said, you know, each morning I say to myself, Michael, you have two choices today. You can choose to be in a good mood or you can choose to be in a bad mood. Each time something happens bad, I say to myself, I can choose to be a victim. Told y'all I needed to hear this. I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to learn from it and be better. I choose to learn from it and be better. His friend told him, he said, well, that, it cannot be that easy, can it? And Michael said this, you know, life is about choices. When you cut away all the junk, every situation, there's a choice. You choose how to react to certain situations. You choose to be thankful or you choose to be worried. That's an interesting word. For my worrier brothers and sisters, this is a good word for us. When something happens and it's on our radar, we can do two things. We can be thankful for God, he's in control, or we can be worried about it. He said, you can choose to gain God's insight or you can choose to be blinded by anger. You choose, you decide. Michael's friend lost touch with him. 
And a few years later, he heard that Michael was in a horrible accident. And by the way, bad things happen to good people. He fell 60 feet from a communications tower, working on a communications tower. 18 hours of surgery, months in intensive care. And his friend thought, well, I wonder how optimistic Michael's going to be now. He called him. He said, hey, hey Michael, I just want to call you and check on you. How, how, how you doing, buddy? He said, if, that, if I was doing any better, there'd be two of me. I thought, you got to be kidding. And the guy said, no, no, no. I mean, really, come on. He says, no, I'm telling you the truth. As I lay there on the ground after my accident, I remembered I have two choices. I can choose to die or I can choose to live. He said, I went into the ER. And he says, I was a mess. Just about every bone was broken in my body. The nurses and the doctors, they were attending to me. And he said, I could tell by the looks in the eyes of the doctors I was in big trouble. And then he said, have you ever been to the ER? And I was reading the story. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just there two weeks ago. And he goes, do the nurses shout at you? And I was like, yeah, 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 they do. They're like, are you okay? Are you allergic to anything? And I remember they were asking me that the other day when I was in the Canadian hospital going, my, my leg was hurting so bad. I said, I'm allergic to things. I said, yes, I'm allergic to penicillin. And they said, okay, good. And so they were working on and, and Michael said, yes, I'm allergic to. And they all stopped. And the doctors looked. And the nurses stopped. And they said, what are you allergic to? He said, gravity. <laughs> oh, 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 you got to be kidding. You, you can't have an attitude like that. He says, no, I'm serious. I am choosing to live. So operate on me as if you're operating on a man who is alive, not on a man who is dead. I don't know about y'all, but I, I need to know there are Michaels out there. I mean, true blue people. You know, a lot of times when people get hurt and think bad things happen to them, what do they do? They blame God. They get angry at God. And I think if we do that, that is the wrong decision. Some of you want to ask me, well, aren't you upset? I mean, eight weeks, two months, that's like a broken leg. You're not going to be able to play golf. You're not going to be able to hardly do anything. Just hobble around. Or don't you just want to get mad just a little bit? Can I tell you something? Can I just tell you something? I'm telling you, God is showing me a lot about me during this time. Some of it I don't like a whole lot. I mean, I, I need, the Bible says in Psalm 23, He maketh me lie down. Can I get a witness? Amen. He maketh me lie down. And I, and I knew my wife was awesome. I and mean, we've been married 27 years on last week on the 2nd. And, and what an amazing woman of God she is. I, I, I tell you, if y'all knew how good Ashley was, y'all would, would trade her in for me. I, I believe you would, but... And then my kids, I mean, and so God is just showing me so many cool things about him. And I just want to close with this word. If you're here today and you would say, well, I'm trying to be a true man of God. I'm trying to be a true woman of God. I don't, man, I don't believe in those false things of, you know, those guys all interested in sex and money and duplicity. And all. No, I'm not going to do that. I, I want to be a real man of God. I want to be a real woman of God. Well, let me just tell you something. That's awesome. And just because you make that decision doesn't mean bad things are not going to happen to you. In fact, I'll go ahead and say, bad things will happen to you. And in those moments, I, I think you get to demonstrate the true nature of your Christianity. You know, today, there, there are some people, and I was thinking about you when I was studying this message, and, I, and now I'm speaking today. I, I was thinking about many folks who, 
you know, they come and they're very interested in God and they're interested in studying religion and Jesus and that sort of thing. And I just want to encourage you today. If you're that person and you're interested in knowing God and walking with God and being true and going to heaven when you die, I want to speak to you. And what you need to do right now is say, God, I don't have all the answers. And God, I am not... Lord, there's a lot I don't understand. But Lord, I just want to come to you today for the very first time and say, God, I believe and I trust in you. I trust that your word is true and I want to confess you as my Savior and as my Lord right now. You may be on the internet watching us. God bless you. You may be on television, on direct TV watching us. Or you may be right here watching us. And let me just say this. If you don't know Christ, the Bible says right now, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And listen to this. When the Lord really saves you, it's awesome. You'll be filled with His Holy Spirit. You'll, be, you'll follow Him in baptism, and you'll walk with Him all the way into eternity. Some of you are here today, and, and, and you say, man, I, I tell you, I need to be a part of a church. I need to be a part of a body of Christ where, man, people are serious with the Lord, and they're going to walk with the Lord. I want to encourage you to be a part of our church. I invite you, if you're here today and you have questions or you're interested in coming, you come on down. Our people will receive you, we'll talk to you, and we'll encourage you on how you can be a part of the Radiant Church here at at Great Hills. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the hard parts. I thank you, Lord, for the strong teaching that the Apostle Peter gave us by the inspiration of you, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that as sure as there are true men of God, and true women of God, there will be false men and women of God. And Lord, help us be able to recognize them and help us to be able to protect ourselves, our churches, and our families from heretical teaching. Because Lord, it ends in a little bit of pleasure now, but in eternal destruction. So help us, God, to steer clear of that. Lord, I pray today that that person who's listening, that And Lord, maybe bad things have happened to them, and they're blaming you, God, and they're angry with you. God, would you just just wrap them up with your love and your grace? Would you give them that kind of attitude that Michael has, Lord, that just says, Hey, God, I don't understand, and I'm really not happy about it, but Lord, I trust you. I have a decision to make. I have a choice. I have an action to take. And Lord, I choose to be blessed, and, and I choose to bless you instead of being bitter and cursing you. So Lord, thank you for our church here at Great Hills. We... God, you have blessed us with some amazing, amazing men and women and students. And I just thank you for them. Honored, Lord, thank you for them. I pray that you would bless our church. I pray that you would add to our church. And I pray that you would meet our needs. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.